Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. March just might be my favorite month here at What She Said, with International Women's Day coming up this week and the entire month dedicated to celebrating women's history. It's almost as if this show was made for March. Of course, I've got an incredible lineup of women from across the country ready to inspire and inform you over the coming weeks, and this weekend's show sets the stage. My first interview is with Jennifer Reynolds, President and CEO of Toronto Finance International, who joins me to discuss where women are as we approach the one-year mark of COVID-19 and what we can expect to see as we progress through 2021. If you're going stir-crazy, then you'll be pleased to know that you're not as far from an escape as you might think. 80% of Canadians live within 30 minutes of the Great Canadian Trail, and Eleanor McMahon, President and CEO of the Trans-Canada Trail, joins me to share details about their Blahs to Oz campaign running right now, and ways you can enjoy the trail year-round while staying far from crowds. Anne Brody is here and shares deets on the much-anticipated Royals interview with Oprah, plus the devastatingly beautiful Land with Robin Wright, a sequel that took 33 years to make, Coming to America 2 with Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall, a formerly censored documentary called Free the Army with Jane Fonda and Donald Sutherland, plus so much more to keep you busy at home, you won't miss going out at all. Women have long struggled to command the same respect and coverage in sports that men have. That is, until now. Ayanka Jess from She's for Sports is committed to changing that narrative. A senior communicator and an award-winning business leader, Ayanka is passionate about empowering women and diverse communities through sport. She joins me to share how she's working hard to referee a fair game for all. Tired of trying to live within a budget? How about trying the 30-day anti-budget, the COVID edition? Kelly Keene is a personal finance educator, speaker, media personality, and award-winning author of 10 books with over 25 years in the finance industry. She is on a quest to make Canadians feel good about money and joins me today to discuss her latest book, Talk Money to Me, and the anti-budget. Finally, if you're as confused as I am about how on earth to mine a Bitcoin, where to buy cryptocurrency, and more importantly, how to spend it, then you'll want to stick around until the end. Stephanie Chabot from the Finance Diaries helps educate people about personal finance topics that will help them get ahead in life. And today she joins me to give us the 411 on cryptocurrency. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. Thank you, I'll get it myself. Question, tell me how you feel about this. Try to control me, boy, you get dismissed. Pay my own funnel and I pay my own bills. Always 50-50 in relationships. The shoes on my feet, I International Women's Day is on Monday, and this year, more than ever, we need to pull together and demand equality, particularly in the workforce. Jennifer Reynolds is the president and CEO of Toronto Finance International, a public-private partnership whose mission is to promote and develop Toronto's financial services sector and to establish its prominence as a leading global financial centre. 
Her 20-year career in the financial services industry has included senior roles in investment banking, venture capital, and global risk management. She joins me today to discuss where we're at one year into this global pandemic and what we can expect to see going forward. Welcome back to the show, Jennifer. Great. Happy to be here. So this is your third visit uh, to the show. Uh, It's always a delight having you. Unfortunately, I feel like we're going to be covering some of the same ground this time. But just to sort of recap, where are we one year into this pandemic? Yeah, well, I wish I had uh, new and better news for you, but uh, unfortunately, the stats uh, aren't, aren't great when it comes to women uh, in this she session that, that we're going through right now. Um, what we saw is actually through September, October, we did see more women return to work. Um, however, they were working about half the hours um, that they were working before those that did return on average. So returning, but not returning in the same way. Uh, and now, of course, uh, with this next wave, Um, You know, I think we're seeing more and more women obviously impacted by job losses clearly into 2021. Um, And and unfortunately, we're seeing the same trend that we talked about last time is that um, not only are women unemployed or more women are unemployed, but we're also seeing women leave. uh, They're not looking for jobs. They're not in the labor force at this point officially in in those unemployed numbers. Uh, We're seeing them leave in, in greater numbers. And the interesting dynamic is in the fall, we saw more men coming back, entering the labor force. So the absolute opposite dynamic, whereas more women are leaving. Um, and of course, you know, we've talked about the reasons why in, in the past. I mean, some in some cases, they're in those types of service jobs, those high contact jobs, some of those jobs that haven't come back, be it retail or food, uh, accommodation. But in many cases, it is the responsibilities at home. Yeah, it's good to recognize that, you know, um, women are not choosing this like it's not a choice to go back to work part-time they have to uh decide really between the well the best uh, for their family and the best for themselves and um but financially and economically uh this is hurting women on a huge level and you know do you have any statistics sort of surrounding uh the loss of of wealth for women in this pandemic Well, if you think about prior to the pandemic, women uh, contributed about 42% to household income. And so when you see this type of job loss, it's actually not just an impact to women, it's families. Families are hurting right now because of the tremendous job losses we've had. And not just job loss, but even where there are jobs, really, they're not the same, not bringing in the same dollars they were before. They're working those part-time hours. They're juggling, taking care of kids who aren't in school or, you know, who don't have childcare, all of these things. And that's that will have a long-term impact when women leave the workforce or or take a, you know a step back in their career. That's not just the immediate dollars that they lost that month or that year. That that goes on into the future and in a multitude of ways. Um, number one, when you are ready to go back full time, it's finding that full time job. Is it there? Um, secondly, do you have the skills? Has has there been a skill gap created because you weren't in the workforce in the same way that you were before? Things are moving tremendously fast right now. One of the upsides of of the pandemic is from a technology perspective, think about how we've adapted and and, and moved forward in so many different ways. We've changed the way we do business. But if you're not a part of that whole change that's happening and you're out of the workforce, you're going to miss that. And and so it will be more challenging, I think, to to come back. And, you know, there may need to be some reskilling, upskilling, so to speak, to, to get back into the workforce. That comes at a cost, too. Um, and I really believe that as a result, we're going to see 
a worsening of the wage gap, sadly. I think that's the reality here. We weren't in a great place when it came to the wage gap going into this. Um, and I think having women out of the workforce longer and, and then going through that re-entry period is actually going to exacerbate the wage gap in this country. You know, a lot of companies are out there beating this drum that they support women, they're there for women, they've all developed these programs. Is that just lip service or do you think there is some actual um, action that's going to come from this? I, I think there, you know, companies are genuinely trying to, to accommodate, to be more flexible in terms of, you know, the hours that we're working or in terms of, you know, the norms for when we hold meetings or just trying to look at things differently. And actually, I think big progressive companies are doing that, trying to be more aware of what women are juggling at home uh, along with their job. I think the, the challenge, I think, going forward, as I see it, is even if you've got these flexibility policies, what's going to happen at the end of the year when performance appraisal comes around? Like, is that going to impact performance appraisals and, and how we're viewed at work if we take those flexible options? Because I know women worry about that. We always worry if we take companies up on some of these offers, will I be viewed negatively, right? Like, I'm not all in. Oh, she's busy taking care of her family. So I think that that's one, you know, really that's playing out right now. How do we all get judged this year, next year, as we do take up perhaps some of these flexibility measures and acknowledge that we are juggling uh, a lot right now. Um, and how is that going to impact again, back to how you're paid? Uh, uh, you know, is that going to impact that? So I think it'll be interesting to see how even those who are being progressive and, and putting these flexible policies in place, how does that play out longer term? I really hope that it, you know, this, the one thing that comes out of this, which hopefully could be positive is working from home now doesn't have the same stigma, hopefully, right? So hopefully, um, you, you know, that's changed a little bit, but uh, I, I do worry that, you know, if you're juggling so many things in the air, it's going to impact your work. I mean, I, I think we all feel we're not doing a good job at the office, not doing a good job at home. You can't win in, in either place. Um, so I, I think it, it's, um, even with that flexibility, I think there's still some challenges that we face. You know, you are a CEO of a company. There's got to be a lot of stress on you, a lot of strain. How are you managing through this pandemic? Well, I think I've got a bit of fatigue, just like everybody right now. It's seeming like a never ending marathon trying to get through this. But, you know, I think, you know, I have six kids and I've always said to people that, you know, it's not pretty every day when you have six kids. It's, it's kind of messy and nothing is perfect. And I think, you know, I do try to acknowledge that it's just not going to be a perfect time. Right? It's you have to give yourself a bit of a break. Um, you know, I think it's taking it day by day, really, at, at this point, because that's all we really can do. There's not there's so many things that aren't in our control. And, and you know, I think when you get to a senior level in your career, often you feel normally you have control over more things, hopefully, but you, you lose that in the pandemic. We've all lost that completely, no matter what job you have, I think. Um, so, you know, I think it's about trying to put some structure in my day, just like everyone's trying to do. Um, honestly, I am a firm believer in exercise. We've got to take care of ourselves. Uh, and I think that's really important for everyone to remember that right now is get outside, get some form of physical activity along with all the other things that we're juggling. Uh, you know, our work and, and our kids. And, you know, I think it's no matter what job you have, it, it's a bit of a challenge right now. So like I said, it's, it's day by day and um, just trying to keep that structure that you might not have otherwise, because, you know, if you were going to work. As always, you're a wealth of information, Jennifer, and thank you for joining me. If people want to connect with you and keep up with you, um, because you do seem tireless, uh, where can they find you? 
they can find it, me on through our website at tfi.ca. Uh, and there's an info and contact there. I'm happy to uh, chat with anyone if they reach out. Wonderful. Thanks so much for joining me today. This was great. Great. Thank you. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. itching to travel, but current restrictions are keeping us close to home. Thankfully, home is a pretty cool place to be. The Great Trail of Canada has tons of wide open spaces to explore that allow for physical distancing while combating social isolation. Eleanor McMahon is the CEO of the Trans-Canada Trail and is an active outdoor enthusiast who is joining me today to share details about the Great Trail's Blahs to Oz winter campaign. And boy, oh boy, do we ever need a break. Welcome to the show, Eleanor. Thank you so much, Candice. Thank you for thinking of us. I'm just thrilled to be with you today. Well, you know, there are not a lot of places we can escape to, which makes it all the more important to share the places we can escape to safely. So I had never heard, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm a travel writer. I had actually never heard of the Great Canadian Trail. So first off, let's define what it is. Where does it, where does it start? Where does it end? Oh my gosh, great question and a great way to begin. So, you know, I think part of the self-deprecation that we have as Canadians, you know, that tall poppy syndrome means that we don't brag too much, but we actually have right here in Canada, the longest and most pervasive network of recreational trails in the world right here in Canada. And that's the Great Trail of Canada. So it goes from coast to coast to coast. In fact, uh, late breaking, I just heard this morning about uh, our newest extension that we hope to announce uh, this spring, which is uh, way, way up north in Nunavut. And um, for the last five years, a trails group there and a group of stakeholders approached us about creating a water route. It's over 300 kilometers in length. It can be done and can be paddled and not everyone's going to want to do it, but that's the nature of Canada. Uh, the vastness of our country means that we have the longest um, recreational trail in the world, 27,000 kilometers. And there's 15,000 communities um, along the trail. And another statistic that your listeners and viewers might find interesting is that 80% of Canadians live within 30 minutes of the trail. Yeah, I so, read that. I read that before I was going to speak to you. And I thought that is amazing. For starters, there's no, you, you can't, you can't cry. Well, I don't have access to it because yeah. we, we all have access to it and it's yeah. free. It's free. You know, you, um, you started off and my goodness, we can't have a conversation right now without talking about the current circumstances we find ourselves in. And um, here at the Trans Canada Trail, we're privileged stewards of the trail. So we have this enormous asset. Uh, we get funding from Parks Canada and the federal government, as well as provincial and municipal governments to complete the trail and continue building it. Because while we say that we achieved this marvelous and incredible dream of connection in 2017 and during the trail's 25th year and our country's sesquicentennial, uh, nonetheless, the work to continue the trail, to enhance, to build the trail, to work with community partners 
right across the country continues because now more than ever, what we're seeing, um, you know, is that Canadians are really uh, finding refuge in the trail. It's it's a place that's outdoors during COVID. It's it's a place of safety. You know, we all have masks. Even when I'm out on the trail, I have a mask in my pocket. If I can't be physically distant with someone, I'm, I've got it there. I carry hand sanitizer. We're all prepared now for those eventualities. And early on during the pandemic, <clears throat> as a trail sector leader in Canada, we produced national trail guidelines to really say to Canadians, please do get out. We know that you will. But when you do it, please be safe. And we put signage on the trail through our trail partners. And along that 27,000 kilometer route, you're going to find signage, wayfinding, how to park safely, how to use the trail safely, how to go to the trailhead, all of those things to keep us safe. And the other thing that we've done is we talk to our trail partners uh, continually, of course, and we're out on the trail ourselves. But the other thing we did was a national survey. We did two of them last year. And the second one we did in November really asked Canadians, so tell us about your trail use um, since the pandemic. And um, they got back to us with some startling data. And we did this with Leger Marketing. So it was a national survey. Leger does weekly surveys uh, in the context of the pandemic. And here's what we found. Uh, trail use is up right across the country amongst all age groups. So from eight to 80, more Canadians are using trails than ever, up over 50% since the start of the pandemic. 95% um, of Canadians, 95% said we're out on the trail to enhance our physical well-being and to find ways to do that. So Candace, with gyms closed, with you know access to recreation limited, and with Canadians seeking safety and wanting to be outside and knowing that it's safer, we think that these are part of the reasons that people are uh, are finding ways to be outside and on the trail. Yeah, and, the and we can't start... deny the science on this. There's a clear link between uh, time outside and better mental health. Uh, mm -hmm. So we, we can't deny the science. So that's a good thing to know. It's there for us to use. I'd like oh to hear a little bit, though. You mentioned there's a waterway. So what are the different ways we can use the trail? Oh, gosh. Well, um, hiking, biking, and, um, swimming, <laughs> canoes, kayaks. This is Canada after all. And uh, of course, no swimming in, in the winter. Well, you may want to swim, but it would be awfully chilly. Um, and in places like Lake Superior, um, you know, the uh, the route is right now, it is a water route. That doesn't mean that there won't be a land route. And in fact, there are uh, there are groups that are looking at a, a North Shore of Lake Superior route. Uh, the the uh, Waterfront Regeneration Trust here in Ontario, which is looking at a route around our Great Lakes, is working very hard now with local stakeholders and the Ministry of Transportation in Ontario to see if we can find a land route on the North Shore of Lake Superior. And of course, they are one of our partners uh, at the Trans-Canada Trail. So getting people out on the trail is, is always a priority for us. And because this is Canada and it's winter, you know, we are a winter nation. We have a fabulous uh, record of success around the Olympics in the winter. And we know too that dressing warmly uh, in the wintertime is, is really where it's at. And so uh, in that same survey that I talked a moment ago, about a moment ago, um, same startling statistic, 95% of Canadians also said that their mental health was the reason that they were getting outside now. And 100% of young people between the ages of 18 and 24 said, I'm out on the trail to enhance my mental health. And so knowing those things and seeing them is one thing. And then getting those statistics back, really that market research really confirmed for us what we're already seeing. 
and it led to um, some conversations with the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, <clears throat> excuse me, based in Toronto, a national organization that's a leader in this realm, research and, and treatment of those suffering from mental health issues. And uh, they were immediately embraceive of an idea of getting Canadians outside. And so we, they helped us to launch this campaign. We had a national conversation with Canadians. Over a thousand Canadians attended our uh, our YouTube session and uh, continued to flock to it in great numbers. And the interest is significant because people are getting outside, wanting to be outside. And I'm hearing from Canadians, even friends saying, you know, um, whereas I might have traveled, I, uh, staying home has has meant that I'm discovering parts of my community that I didn't realize existed. And isn't that fabulous? Because people are getting to know their neighbors, staying close to home and traveling in that staycation mode. So it's it's really kind of interesting and very gratifying for us at the trail because we are that venue where Canadians are finding an escape. We are, we are so blessed in this country to have it. Mm -hmm. You didn't mention it, but I'm just going to assume that it's available because it's winter. Is there cross-country yeah. skiing on the trails? 100%. In fact, uh, I was out on the trail myself this weekend and I saw people on their cross-country skis. I was on my snowshoes. Uh, sometimes I'm just in my hiking boots, but we've got a lot of snow in Ottawa right now. So it's kind of fun to be out in the forest. And I have a dog. Uh, a lot of Canadians we've seen um, select dogs and find dogs. And during the pandemic, it's been a bit of a, a process for them. And, and that's exciting. I mean, I've been a dog owner. I know you are too for many years. And my dog is really a good friend and great company, but he's also a great reason for me to get outside. He loves the outdoors just as much as I do. And we have a lot of fun together. He loves running through the forest and uh, I like discovering it too. Don't we all want to feel like kids again from time to time? And remember Absolutely. when we were kids, I mean, in my neighborhood, you know what's what I'm seeing that I haven't seen in years are forts, snow people, snow families. People are, are actually out here in the Rideau River. Uh, I was out for a walk with the dog last night and I saw someone had actually taken the trouble to, I took a picture of it, an igloo. Someone has built an igloo uh, in the middle of the Rideau River. And I thought, good, good grief. So, so that took a, a lot of time to do that. But people are just loving to be outside skating. Uh, my goodness. And, you know, joy where we can find it. Right, Candice? Absolutely. So if people yeah. want to start planning, because this isn't just a one and done thing, if they want to start planning different trips, where can they go? Um, because I'm sure you offer uh, different uh, routes, uh, maybe multi-day trips, that sort of thing. So where can they go to start planning this? Well, the, the, the great place to start for them is uh, the great trail, all one word, dot CA. And then for information about our winter mental health campaign, because not only is it a campaign, but there's prizes and we would really love to see people's uh, photographs. There's a photo contest. Uh, Cliff Bar is one of our great sponsors, Parks Canada, another. So they can find all that information and tips on our website as well. And that's the greattrail.ca forward slash winter mental health. Okay. So they can go there and see interviews and contest details and tips on using the trail in the winter and staying safe at all times. Because we know uh, for the foreseeable future, uh, the focus has to be on our safety and our well-being. Amazing. Which includes getting outside. So thank you, you so much for joining me today. This was wonderful. Um, I can't wait to get on the trail myself. We'll talk well, soon. Stay safe and stay well. Trash in the hotel room, we don't care.
joining me now for another Saturday night at the movies is Ann Brody. And Ann, it's another full week. Oh my word. There's just not enough time to watch everything. (laughs) Yeah. So let's, let's start running through these because I, there's so much great stuff this week, starting with uh, the, the big Oprah interview. Yes, indeed. Oprah with Megan and Harry, a CBS primetime special. Now they go back a long, long time. They're good friends and they're actually now neighbors in California and Montecito. So uh, yes, it's, they're going to talk all the big things, all the big deals that most people wouldn't be able to get out of, out of the ex Royals or Royals. So uh, very excited to see it. I've only seen the trailers. They're keeping it under wraps. Excellent. Okay. Well, that's, that's something to look forward to then. Uh, and the other one that really caught my attention in your roundup this week was land oh, uh, with Robin Wright. It'll rip your heart out. She plays a woman who just very mysteriously runs away from Chicago in a van full of stuff. And she's taken to a, a log cabin high up in the mountains in Wyoming. Um, she gives her vehicle away. So she's left on her own. Uh, you know, not a good situation. She runs out of food and winter comes um, and she's nearly dead when a hunter comes by and finds her, played by Damien Bashir, who's so terrific. So now he teaches her, he stays a while and teaches her to hunt and fish and to plant a garden. So she's a little bit more sustainable in this lifestyle. But she says to him, if I starve to death, it's on me. So there's something major troubling her. Um, it's just such a great film. You can understand that she's escaping from something that scares her deeply or hurt her deeply to go to these extremes. But I must say it's gorgeous. It was shot in um, outside Calgary and the landscapes are out of this world and they kind of steal the picture from time to time. But this is where she, she lives and works uh, on survival. It's really good, really powerful. Yeah, the trailer was very moving. Uh, A a trailer that I was delighted to see in your roundup this week was Coming to America 2. I got to tell you, I'm really looking forward to this one. I know, right? It's been since 1988. So the same characters are back. Uh, Many of the same characters from that film have returned as well. And and there's obviously some new ones. So uh, it's going to be what we expect. It's going to be vintage Murphy and he's doing multiple characters again so it's all good and Arsenio Hall like let's not forget Arsenio Hall who we haven't seen in a long time isn't it as well I I, I don't don't... understand (laughs) he's so funny it's it's really a blast from the past it's going to be so fun I'm really looking forward to that one so that's on Amazon uh you also have a documentary uh that's been basically hiding for uh, many years free the army banned censored yes called free the army fta it also means f the army and it was um the filmed documentary of jane fond and donald sutherland's uh sort of vaude uh, protest vaudeville show tour through southeast asia uh and it was meant to counter the Bob Hope USO shows. And they discovered along the way that a huge percentage of the soldiers didn't agree with the war and did not want to be there. Of course, most of them were drafted, as you, you might recall. So the show is just incredible. You wouldn't believe how it stands up today all these years later. Uh, it was made in 71. Um, and Jane Fonda, God love her, she's still 
supporting issues that she believes in. This is such an important film to see and great performers. I don't know what became of most of them, but uh, it's unbelievable. And it's available to stream through Toronto's Review uh, Virtual Cinema. Okay. And another virtual cinemas in BC. So uh, we, we have about a minute and a half left. There's two more I want to get to because I think they're really, they looked really great. Uh, the first one is My Salinger Year. Yeah, Sigourney Weaver plays J.D. Salinger's agent. And it's based on the memoirs of her intern who developed a phone relationship with Salinger. And of course, Salinger was a, an elusive figure. He wrote Catcher in the Rye and not available to uh, anyone. <laughs> so it's really a fun one. And I want to talk about Stray because it's a beautiful documentary shot over two years in Istanbul, in which Elizabeth Lowe followed three dogs, particularly one dog, through their lives. And they found human strays too, Syrian refugee children, just incredible. But, but I do want to mention Jump Darling, an amazing film shot. Kalaris Leachman's final lead film shot in Ontario in Prince Edward County, along with this newcomer who's just spectacular called uh, Thomas Duplessis. And they play grandmother and grandson. That too will rip your heart out. It's a very emotional uh, menu of, of shows that we have this week. Yeah, you definitely brought me through all the fields with your roundup this week that you sent oh, me. Of course, you have this all on uh, what she said talk.com with even more, including a movie uh, we're not going to spend any time on because we're living the reality, but pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can read about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And thank you so much again for bringing us all these great shows and TV, uh, TV shows to watch in, in lockdown. You're amazing. Thank you. Right. Thank you, Candace. Let me live that fantasy. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. are just as passionate about sports as men, but we do not command the same coverage or amplification of women's sports. Ayanka Jess is a senior communicator and an award-winning business leader. She is passionate about empowering women and diverse communities through sport. In 2016, she combined her communications background and a purpose to give women a larger voice in sport to launch She's for Sports. The organization is a digital content and events hub that amplifies the contributions of women, girls, and diverse people in sport and addresses the barriers to participation and representation. Welcome to the show, Ayanka. Thanks for having me. So tell me what um, specifically, was there a moment or some, did something happen that propelled you to start She's for Sports? Yes, it was conversations I had with colleagues and uh, friends who are fans of sport. And they just said, you know, when it came to engaging with sport, they love sport, but they didn't always feel like sport loved them back. 
Uh, specifically talking about women who work in the sport industry. I had a colleague who uh, shared with me some, you know, her frustrations and just disappointment with working in a very sexist sport environment. Um, there were times when she would be speaking in meetings and men would be speaking over her and pitching her ideas the next day when they shot them down the day of the meeting. I had women who just said they didn't see people on TV that looked like them, that had their experiences. And you can see through the coverage that we uh, provide with Shoes for Sports, we are talking to women who are um, para-Olympians. We talk to women who have different life experiences. Maybe they've come to Canada from a different country, but they're also involved in sport. We're talking to women in the front office who hold um, those type of, uh, you know, administrative roles. Also women who are on the field, who are coaches. There's so many stories to tell, and we have to make sure that we create a platform and space for all women to tell their stories on how they contribute to sport. So recently, you know, I saw this big kerfuffle when there was a, a referee in it for the Super Bowl that was a woman. And the comments that were left online were just appalling. It was so misogynistic. Is part of your mandate to affect change uh, in these places, uh, you know, that the conversation becomes obviously more respectful? Is that part of your mandate? Yeah, that is part of our mandate. And that all folds into changing the narrative. You know, there's many times we see bylines and headlines that say sports is a man's world. I think we have to kind of get away from that. Women have been involved in sports since centuries ago, uh, years ago. We're talking talking about, you know, women who played hockey in Canada um, in different leagues that they've started on their own or through their university. Like women have been participating in sport. Um, we have Billie Jean King, who has been pivotal in tennis. You know, women have, it's not just that it happened yesterday that we came out of a rock and women are in sport. We are contributing to some of the largest sports industries, the, the organizations, the operations. Um, we're, at the, we're at the table. We could be at the table a little bit more in terms of senior positions, um, but we're starting to see a lot of that changing. You know, last year, um, Kim Ang was hired as the first woman and Asian person to be a general manager for the uh, major for Major League Baseball, and that's a pretty high-profile role, a uh, very senior role. So, if we can see women at the top as well in these senior roles, we're starting. We'll start to see the narrative change. We'll start to see pipelines changing. You know, we need to get more women in the pipelines uh, working in sport. But how does that happen? You know, if you don't have the right infrastructure at the top to look at these challenges when it comes to diversity to say we've got to do something in terms of an operation those things aren't going to change because usually at the top it sometimes is um you know older white men um, we we see and, and and there's nothing wrong with older white men um it's just that organizations do better when they have different voices at the table uh different people with life experiences um who could look at some of these issues and provide some solutions to them i mean when we talk about uh pay as well particularly in professional sports there is a massive disparity between what a man is paid for one sport and what a woman is paid in one sport. So are you also addressing these concerns? Yes, we've had a lot of um, different women who work uh, across sport, the sport landscape talk about that very same issue. I know at our She Can Coach event, you know, women in coaching is a big one too. Uh, sometimes we'll, we'll see women coaching at different levels, but maybe not at the pro levels, or we'll see gaps in schools where uh, maybe at the, the varsity level, it's mostly men coaching. So there are some areas that obviously need some attention and, and some fixing, but um, yeah, coaching is a big one. And these women talk about pay, you know, they talk about 
work-life balance. They talk about uh, the challenges sometimes growing their careers in sport. You know, with pay equity, uh, what's very important now is um, women are just becoming a little bit more louder with the conversation. This this problem with pay equity um, affects many sectors, tech, business. It also affects sports. Um, but I think the the issue has been raised a little bit more um, higher now by women. You know, we saw the uh, American soccer team, um, the women's soccer team go to court on this very same issue and trying to to plead their case and try to really show that there is a disparity and it's not fair. Um, and that's what we're talking about when we, we talk about women in sport. We just want equity. You know, we want equity and we want inclusion, but we have to, we have to move forward and we have to start somewhere. So what I can say is I think it's golf. Um, we're starting to see um, that sport um, provide women and men with equal purse amount in terms of the amount that they get for the prize money of winning and we're starting to see that also in tennis I know lots of people follow um, tennis and Serena Williams and, and different tennis players so tennis and golf are two sports that you're seeing that are trying to get to that pay equity piece but when it comes to other sports whether it's soccer or hockey we still have a long way to go it's not only just pay um, women don't normally get sponsorship dollars usually sponsorships go to, to men so we have to kind of look at um, the overall um, challenge of why women are just not compensated equally when it comes to sponsorships and partnerships and also um, their salaries, you know, and we're, we're outputting the same amount of energy and talent out on the field. Um, men and women both watch, uh, you know, women's sport. There's a stat, I believe that's over 60% of people watch at least one women's sport. So the statistics are out there, the stats are there. We just have to start changing the narrative and we have to start being serious about how we're going to transform the sport industry. How does your organization work then? Are you always looking for volunteers, uh, people to join you and help help advance uh, women in sport? That's a very good question. I Every time I open up my email box, there's always uh, somebody reaching out from our website wanting to help and wanting to volunteer. And I'm very humbled by that because people see this as a movement. I see it as a movement. I don't see Schuster Sports as a trend. I, I know I've went to a conference once and a, a, man, a male attendee came up to me and said, oh, I heard about Schuster Sports. It's good that you got in on the trend five years ago because diversity is trending. We are not doing this for a trend. This is hard work. This is, yeah. That, yeah, I, these, I, are the I, these are the comments that you get. <laughs> people can't see my face right now, but it was just yeah. one of shock because, you know, yeah. of course, this is not a trend. This is yes. equality. That's this is equality, yeah, and it's the right thing to do. It's it's looking at the gaps of who has been left out of sport, and women, and girls, and diverse people have our stories haven't been told. Representation, you know, in terms of our contributions, haven't been you know put out there to see that sport is made up of all of us, of people who have different abilities, people who are maybe Muslim, women who, um, people who are LGBTQ plus, and we've had uh, panels where we've had our uh, LGBTQ plus sport community on sharing some of their, um, you know, their, their challenges and sharing some of the things that they've been doing to, um, you know, move the needle on, on equity. So yeah, we get those comments. I don't like them sometimes. And I, I wanted to actually go back to, you said about the trolls and I wasn't trying to, to slide over that. That is a very serious issue. You know, we've had a few trolls here and there comments on some of our Twitter posts. Um, and, and that also shows that we've still got a lot more work to do to get people to a place to know that women, men, people that are LGBTQ+, anybody can follow sport, they can comment, they can be engaged in it. And it's not, sport is not just for one gender. So I'm obviously gonna be over here cheering you on. We have about a minute left. So before you get to telling me where people can find you, connect with you, volunteer with you, uh, help uh, amplify your voice, uh, 
Do you have a small success story you can share with me? I can. So when I started this in 2016, it really was, as you said in the beginning, a digital content and events hub. We are moving into the advocacy space. I've had companies last year call me and say, do you know a woman who could be a basketball analyst? We're looking to hire people. And, and I sent them four names uh, as a referral and they hired one woman. She emailed me back. She's like, I got the job. We are in the space of advocacy. We are in the space of pushing for women to be hired in sport. Um, and now we're being seen, um, you know, from the sport community as a, a valued, you know, uh, organization, an organization that's authentic. And, you know, we definitely have those, those connections with these women, but we're doing it for the right reasons and we're doing it to mobilize this change. So I think we're kind of shifting more uh, into the advocacy space, but we're still holding our event. We've got an event coming up um, March 10th, where we're going to be highlighting women in sport who are, um, you know, addressing equity in sport and how are they using their platforms and their voice, their voices as athletes, as women who work in the sport industry to, um, you know, challenge this issue. And we're really happy to bring in um, Jennifer King. She's the first uh, African-American woman to be a, an assistant coach, I believe, in, uh, in the NFL for the Washington team. So, you know, we're able to also focus on our Canadian uh, sport talent and women in sport here, but we're also able to bring in um, other names and, and, and people who kind of have been around and have a maybe more of a a following base um, to to kind of spread that message and share that. Okay, wonderful. So if people want to connect with you then, find you online, mm -hmm. where can they go? Online. She's for sports.com. We're also at she's for sports on Twitter and Instagram and the same uh, handle on Facebook. So if you can find us on those platforms, uh, we can connect with you and you can hear all the exciting and great things uh, all these women and diverse people in sport are up to. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, you're doing incredible work and I look forward to having you back again. We'll talk about this again. Thanks a lot. She looks just like me, too afraid to dream out loud. And though it's simple, your idea, it won't make sense to everybody. If you've tried to stick to a budget and failed, then you'll be relieved to learn that A, you're not alone, and B, there is a solution for the budget challenged. My next guest, Kelly Keene, is a personal finance educator, speaker, media personality, and award-winning author of 10 books with over 25 years in the finance industry. She is on a quest to make Canadians feel good about money and joins me today to discuss her latest book, Talk Money to Me, available everywhere now. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Great to be with you, Candice. So you talk about an anti-budget, and I, I really love the concept of this. So what does that look like? Yeah, so I do not profess anything that I can't stick to myself, and I don't like diets, and I don't like budgets. Now, for those who are great at budgeting, you can just ignore a couple of seconds of this conversation. Keep doing what you're doing. But for the rest of us, I think, you know, you get on these, these, these like diets and, and you get some short-term success and then you fall off and you're worse off afterwards. So what is the solution for those of us that just don't like budgeting? I make myself and my husband do this every six months. We've been doing it for 10 years. For 30 days, I just want you to track your financial calories. Where is your money going? Now you can do it old school. You can get a little notebook and a pen. You can do that. Just that alone is going to have you more aware of where your money is going. But that's, that's a little too much for most of us. We don't have that time. So you can use your technology to help you track. Now, 
There's a lot of great uh, apps out there, but you've got to be careful because if you use an app other than your bank to link into your bank accounts and your credit card accounts, you could actually nullify your fraud protection, excuse me. And that's a whole other conversation. So what do you do? Um, ideally for 30 days, use one debit card, one credit card and let your bank track for you. So if you use your bank app, you're fine. So what you want to do is just see where your money's going. Then you want to see where, at, you know, uh, figure out the categories at the end of 30 days, multiply by 12 because retailers are counting on us. Uh, to not do that. And I got to tell you, Candace, I don't know about you, but during the pandemic, me and my family have increased our subscriptions, our wine consumption. Now, this is not an exercise in judgment. This is about choice and awareness. Do you know where your money's going? Are you happy where it's going? If you're not, once you see this, you can see where you can trim the fat and then allocate those dollars to either more fun to uh, paying down high interest rate credit card debt, to savings, whatever it is for you. So just lastly on this, uh, pre-COVID, you know, my anti-budget looks like people spending too much money on dining out, on traveling, on things of that sort. Now it's, you know, food delivery, weed, booze, subscriptions, gambling. That adds up to over $5,000 a year for the average Canadian. If you can just cut that in half, not even stop it. That's like an extra 2,500 bucks you might be sitting on. So I just want you to pay attention to your money and just do it twice a year. It's absolutely just recognition, the cognition that you get going with it. You know, I, I gave up wine for dry, dry January, immediately noticed my uh, bank account was a lot healthier. Good for you. <laughs> and decided to continue for February uh, just because it felt you. good physically and financially to continue. So it is, I love the cognition that you add into this. Tell me though about the latte factor. I really, I really love this. Yeah. And you know, I want people to indulge. I don't want you to give up these, you know, these small indulgences. What I want you to do is pay attention to the big waste. Like, if you have a mortgage and you've never looked at paying it down quicker because you're like, yeah, it's a great rate. Why would you care? It's still a debt. Or if you've got that high interest rate credit card debt, my goodness, ignoring that and then sacrificing on, you know, your glass of wine, if you did want to drink or your latte or what have you, that's not where I want people to cut the money because that's what we need to feel good to reward ourselves as we go along. It's these big wastages. Like, are you digging into your, you know, your uh, car and auto insurance? Do you have, um, you know, maybe a balance protector on your credit card that may never pay for you? That's actually quite expensive. Like really digging into all of those wastages and then, to, you know, enjoying and patting yourself on the back because you bought yourself some fresh flowers or, or, or you actually bought a pay-per-view movie this weekend for your family. Like, Enjoy those things. Just cut out the big wastages. Yeah, I mean, it's not about making this painful. <laughs> it's exactly. it's supposed to be enjoyable, right? Uh, we don't have a lot of time left. We only have about a minute, but I do want to quickly ask you about uh, in your book, do you talk about having these conversations with your partner? Because these can be painful conversations for people to have. Absolutely. And the process for it, Candice, we have a whole process because the thing is, COVID threw a stick of dynamite on everyone's finances, whether good or bad. And now you're at home with your spouse. Maybe this is the first time you're opening bills together. You're talking about income or a lack of income, hard, hard decisions and, and conversations to have. 
So yes, we break it all down. Uh, the spoiler alert is make sure you make it fun. Don't make it a painful thing, as you were saying, and spread it out over time. You don't have to like, you know, one and done. This is a conversation. It needs to be ongoing. All right. Amazing. So if people want to connect with you then, uh, first, where can they get your book? And secondly, where can they connect with you online? Yeah. If you're actually leaving your house, um, it's in bookstores across Canada, uh, obviously Amazon and Indigo chapters online. And you can reach me at kellykeen.com or just Google my name. You'll find me on Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. Incredible. Kelly, thank you so much. This was very helpful. Thank you, Candice. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. And I saw my reflection in the snow-covered hills till the landslide brought me it feels like everyone has become a financial expert in lockdown, pontificating about best stock picks and where to invest your money next. But as with everything in life, it's always good to pause for a minute before you blindly follow the crowd. My next guest started the Finance Diaries after she had a conversation with a coworker who didn't understand credit scores. The rest is history. Stephanie Chabot is here to help educate people about personal finance topics that will help us get ahead in life. And today we're getting the lowdown on cryptocurrency. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I got to tell you, cryptocurrency is a foreign language to me. I read something this morning about you mine for Bitcoin. I don't, I have no idea. So let's just start with the basics. What the heck is it? Yeah. So this is definitely something that makes a lot of people shy away because they get scared about the fact that there's computers and there's some programming involved. So essentially cryptocurrency is a digital currency. That's the most basic way that you could see it. And it would be something that essentially eliminates the middleman, which is the bank. So anything that you would want to do with your money right now, I'm assuming your money's not under your mattress and that it's in a bank account. So if you wanted to pay someone or someone wanted to pay you, Everything always goes through your bank. It goes through your credit card or through your checkings account. And essentially, cryptocurrency is eliminating the bank as the middleman. There is a little bit more of some technical jargon that we can look at when we explain what crypto is. And this is where some people tend to get lost. But the easiest way to explain it is to say that much like how you would have a, a diamond mined, and you would have to go into the mine and find the diamond. That's essentially how crypto works. So a programmer would solve a series of complex equations. And then these equations, when they are solved correctly, would generate a coin. The original kind of cryptocurrency is a Bitcoin. And that's probably the one that most people are aware of. And from there, that's um, where we go into blockchain technology, which is where even more people get lost. Oh, I'm, I'm already lost. <laughs> I do know, though, that um, so I have an account with a company called Newton, and I can take money from my bank account and I can buy crypto, which I've done uh, just dabbling and playing a little bit. Nothing I'm scared of losing, um, but I still don't understand. So uh, um, so you can purchase things using crypto. 
Uh, do you pay tax when you buy cryptocurrency? So the way that crypto is currently used really depends on where you live and who's accepting it. So in principle, what you should be able to do with any kind of digital currency is to pay for it. So if you could pay your employees with Bitcoin or you can buy a product or you can sign out on your Amazon shopping cart with Bitcoin that or any other sort of cryptocurrency, that would be the principle of it. So it should be something that is like money. So you would pay taxes on it because a certain amount of, of cryptocurrency, you would get charged, let's say, eight Canadian dollars plus tax. Well, you would pay the equivalent of that in crypto. So it doesn't eliminate taxes. The government is still getting that at the end of the day when we pay with crypto. Yeah, so that's what I'm curious about, because if I buy, if I take, you know, $150 of my money and buy crypto, um, and then it, it increases in value. Uh, I've watched that in my account. It's increased in value. Do I pay tax on that increase or is the tax on the money I use to purchase the crypto in the first place? Right. So that's where it gets a little bit complicated because crypto is so new. So the government is still trying to figure out how to regulate it and if they even can. The way that this is currently seen in Canada is that it would be one of two ways. Your crypto could either be considered business income, which is 100% taxable if they deem you to be a business, or it would be, end up being the same as if you have capital gains, like on any other stock in your portfolio. So that would be determined by your accountant, whether they think that it's business income or if it's going to be more in the capital gains category. I, I'm a, yeah, I'm so lost on this. I don't know if it's <laughs> I don't know if it's worth it for me. So as an investment, then, do you feel that cryptocurrency is risky? Uh, or is it something we should be moving towards? Because I did read something last week that the government of Canada is even toying with its own version of a cryptocurrency. So it, it can be viewed so many ways. Because it's new, there is a lot of different speculation about if it's safe, if it's going to grow, if it's going to crash. And that's kind of where we see it acting like it's a commodity. And that's how the government treats it like gold or like diamonds or something like that. So that's why it's, there's a certain amount of Bitcoin that can be mined specifically. There's a lot of other coins, but Bitcoin has reached the maximum amount that can be produced. So when there's a high supply then the price would go lower. But because everyone is jumping onto the Bitcoin train right now, it's making the price skyrocket. So it definitely is an investment. Um, it is volatile, like any other commodity that we can see. And it's up to you how you want to invest in it. Interestingly enough, there's now a, um, if you want to have Bitcoin in your TFSA or RSP, that is actually now an option that there is an ETF that exists that follows um, that follows Bitcoin and that you could have in your TFSA or RSP. So there are many different ways you can have different apps that allow you to buy uh, cryptocurrency. And there are also ways that you can now incorporate it into your TFSA or RSP. So there are a lot of options for people that are investors. But again, like any investment, cryptocurrency is volatile and it is a risk that you're taking on. Well, we have barely scratched the surface on this topic. I know it for sure, which is why you're going to take over the What She Said Instagram story this weekend. And you're going to be sharing more in detail how this works. Hopefully people can get a grasp of it. In the meantime, if people want to follow you on social media uh, and keep up with you for all other topics on finance, where can they find you? 
So I have my Instagram page. It, the handle is at the finance diaries. You can also find me on TikTok, And I also run a podcast called the finance diaries on just about any platform that you can listen to podcasts on. So when I will take over next week, I will be a lot more visual about it, which would help you understand crypto even more. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Stephanie. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.